So you've heard of Howie Mandel, heard of this guy? Everybody loves Howie Mandel. He's the guy who's done just about everything in the entertainment industry from stand-up comedy to voiceovers. I just found out this week, uh, doing some really important research for this message, that he uh, was the voiceover for one of the Muppets, Skeeter. You know Skeeter? He was Skeeter. I knew he was Bobby from Bobby's World, but he's also Skeeter and all kinds of other uh, cartoons. But he's also, uh, one of the big things, as you know, he's been doing over the past few years is uh, in game shows. You know, his most famous one that he does now is Deal or No Deal, right? Uh, with the, that's the one with the banker and the ladies with the, the briefcases and people have a chance to, to win money. And uh, one of the things that he's known for um, is that he, you know, he has OCD, uh, specifically that he's a germaphobe. He really, you know, is you know, just really freaked out at, about the thought of, of germs. He talked about in one of these interviews that I saw that he, as a child, uh, was so fearful of germs that if his shoe became untied at school, he wouldn't tie it back the rest of the day because the shoelaces touched the ground and he would get germs on his hand. And so he said he would just go along throughout his day with shoelaces untied and his shoes and tripping. It's just kind of crazy, he said. But, uh, you know, I, I find it just unreal that he's a game show host, yet, you know, interacting with people and the threat of their germs is kind of always on his mind as he was talking about in this, this interview. You know, one thing he says that he uh, does a lot is when somebody goes in for a high five, he, you know, closes his fist and just kind of gives them the, the fist bump, you know, and you've probably seen that happen. You know, it's just kind of crazy that he's a game show host and his job is to professionally, before people interact and connect and, and, and relate with people. And it's really unique to me that he's doing these game shows where people have the opportunity to win you know, thousands and thousands of dollars or lose thousands and thousands of dollars that they maybe had, you know, won at least for the, the time that they were on the show. And so he's with them through these, you know, these emotional highs and these uh, emotional lows, but he can't high-five them or he can't, you know, put his arm around them when they, you know, they lose a big chunk of, of money. And you'll often see that, that when there's a big celebration because somebody wins money, you'll see, I watched this, he puts his hands in his pocket and kind of gets to the back of the air and just lets them celebrate away from them so that he doesn't, you know, uh, run the risk of getting their, their, their germs on him. And so it's, it's kind of crazy thing that he does. And then, you know, he said that after the shows, he runs out and just soaks his hands in Purell hand sanitizer. He said so much so that it killed all the antibodies in his hands so that if he touches things that has germs, now he gets warts on his hands from touching things because of just how bad he's treated his hands by just soaking them in, in Purell hand sanitizer. And so, you know, it's crazy to me. Again, he's a game show host. I mean, this is what you do. You interact with people, yet he, he, he's kind of he's faking it. You know, when he gets off stage, he's like, oh, man, those people, I had to touch them. And he, you know, is, is sanitizing his hands. Now, here's where I'm going with this. For us as, as Christians, similarly... You know, this is what we do. This is, is what we do. Our, our faith is a faith that's about being engaged with people at every level. At every level of our faith, we are engaging with people. One of the things that, if you've been around for a while, you know that our mission as a church is connecting Boston and beyond to Christ. And so we do this uh, by by personally growing in and ushering other people through this cycle that we call our mission strategy, reach, connect, disciple, that we, we kind of have this image that we, um, we have that we kind of show people what we're up to. Um, 
reach, connect, disciple, that we are reaching people with the love and the truth of Jesus, that we're connecting them to a meaningful relationship with Christ and his church, and that we're then discipling the faithful to, to spiritual maturity so that they can then engage others in that cycle. And so as a church, we are the body of Christ, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 really displays that, that Romans, 1 Corinthians 12, that we are uh, the body of Christ, so we're kind of like the hands of Jesus uh, to our world. And so as the hands of Jesus, we get the privilege, the opportunity to really be his hands to, to reach out to people, to help connect them to uh, the body of Christ, and then to disciple them and to pull them along in the faith and really strengthen them in the faith. And so as we look at this image, we can see that, first of all, ultimately, those hands are the hands of Christ who has reached us, who has connected with us, who we are disciples of him, ultimately. But those are also our hands reaching to somebody else. Or maybe you're, you're the one being reached or connected to at this stage in, in your, your journey. And so what we're going to do is for the next three weeks together as a church is I just want to kind of look at reach, connect, and disciple. And so week one today, we're going to look at reach, and then we're going to look at connect and then we're going to look at disciple and this isn't something that we just kind of created that's kind of cute like any other businesses mission uh, this really uh, is, is something that we want to show you that is God's intention for all believers everywhere that it's really laid out in the scriptures that to be a Christian on every level involves us being engaged with other people that our faith is really a two-handed kind of Faith. And so engaging other people is what we do as Christians. Yet somehow, today, many Christians are, are you know, they're pulling it off. They're, they're living a, a faith that is personal. You hear that all the time growing up, that have a person, do you have a personal faith in Jesus? And I understand what's being said there. And you need to understand that, yes, you have a personal faith in Jesus, that you don't just inherit being a Christian. You have a personal faith in Jesus. But listen, in no way is our faith meant to be personal. That's not how God intended it. Our faith is to be really engaged with other people all the time. It's to be two-handed, that we are reaching out towards others, that we are connecting with the church, with Christ, and we're helping others connect with the church, that we are discipling and we are being discipled. That's what we do. Now, here's why. It's what we do because it's what he did. And so this week, what I want to do is I want to look at reach and I want to think about reach. And I really want to do so and just see Jesus doing that if we can. And so I'm going to go to a passage. It might uh, not be one that you would expect me to go to, but I want to go to John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up there to John chapter 13. If you don't have one with you, um, you can always use your phone, your app or whatever. Uh, you can also grab one of the Bibles that we have provided in the seats here, and then we'll also have it on the screen. And so if you don't have a Bible um, of your own with you and you uh, want to use one of those, feel free to take that home. It's our gift to you, the Bibles that are in the seats there. So that's, that's yours. John chapter 13. And uh, eventually what we're going to do is we're going to land there. But for a while, what I want to do is I want to kind of lay a, a bit of a foundation. I want to really lay a foundation. We want to be a people who are constantly reaching, 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 reaching. That's why we do the things that we do as the church, that we are not just in here, but we're constantly outside of the walls. And this room is just such a, it's, it's secondary. We're, we're constantly out and about living life together and, and serving other people, that we're reaching out in love, we're reaching out in service, we're reaching out in relationship, we're reaching out sharing the message of Jesus. And we do that because this was Jesus. Jesus was one 
who, who would reach, who would serve, who would give, who would sacrificially lay himself down for other people. Now, this is kind of the acceptable Jesus in, in our culture today. Jesus who was a servant. Jesus who was humble. Jesus who was a, a teacher. This is the popular Jesus of, of culture today. The humanitarian uh, teacher, a man of justice, a man of service. And he was that, but I want to be careful to make sure that we have proper perspective of Jesus. Uh, let's, let's understand that, yes, he humbly served and he gave sacrificially, but understand that he is also and has always been God of the universe. According to John chapter 1, he's there at creation. And so he's the same God of the Old Testament. He's there at creation. He's creator. He's holy. He's controlling natural elements. He's in control of the rise and fall of kings and, and kingdoms. He's, he's sovereign over everything. That's our God. He's also Jesus of Revelation chapter 1. So majestic and amazing and crazy to even look at. He's so beyond us that when John sees him, he says he falls down at his feet as though dead. That's, that's also Jesus. Acts chapter 17 tells us, uh, Paul is preaching at the Areopagus and he says that our God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. And so this is our God, that he doesn't need anything. Matthew chapter 20, 28, when he comes, he says, uh, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. He doesn't, he doesn't need anything. That, that's our God. He's, yes, he's humble and he's serving but he's also majestic and powerful and sovereign and above and over all things. That's, that's God. So picture this with me if we can to kind of lay a foundation. In the beginning, God is. I just want to sit in that for a second. In the beginning, God is. His self-declaration to Moses was what? I am, right? He says, I am. I just, I just am. Always have been, I am. I'm not a created idea. I mean, how do we even make up the concept of God? It came from the fact that there is a God. Don't just think that up. He is. I am outside of time. I, I am not born to anyone. I am not subject to anyone. I am not subject to anything because I created everything and everyone. I just, I, I am. God is, right? And we also know that according to scriptures that God is triune, right? Matthew 28, the great commission that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he is triune in nature, one God, three persons. That'll give something to chew on for the next 25 years. One God and, and three persons. And so understand that he is content prior to creation. He is good. Relationally, he is all set within himself. He doesn't make us because he needs a friend. He doesn't make us because he's lonely. Our God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He, he's good. So creation is not because he needs us. He wasn't bored, didn't need any help. He created because of who he is, because he is. He created because he's creative. And he created because he's personal and he finds great pleasure in allowing us to know him and to enjoy him. And so he creates us, Colossians chapter 1, 17, for himself. And all things were created through him and all things were created 
for him. So we are here for him. We are here for him. Does that instantly in you do something? Because it does to me. Like I'm, that's why I'm here is for him. Because a lot of times I get sidetracked, but I'm here for something else. For that degree, for that program, for that job, for that promotion, for that person. We are here for him. To be a worshiper of him, to know him, to follow him, and the great joy that comes with really knowing him and really being in a relationship with him. So he doesn't need us, yet he makes us, creates us, gives us life and breath and being just by effortlessly speaking. He just speaks things into existence. So sit in that for a minute. We're here. We have our life because of him. The other option is that we're here because of some uh, incalculable series of coincidences. The physical and the emotional deep longings of our souls, lack of satisfaction and searching that we have in our hearts is just unrestrained biology. That's the other option, which I have trouble with. It takes a lot of faith uh, there. I think there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that this thing is historically verifiable. We are here because of him. Plenty of evidence to hold up in the court of law. We're here because of him, on purpose by him, given life and breath by him. We're sitting in that. We're here, him, for him. It's about him. And then Isaiah chapter 53 will tell us, verse 6, that we like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way. And it looks different for all of us. Going astray might not be sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Going astray might be something entirely different. It might be your independence from him. I don't need you, God. I'm going to do my own thing. Forget you. I don't even acknowledge you. But we've all gone astray, the scripture says, that we've turned from him who was before all things, creator of all things, sustainer, scripture says, of all things, that we've turned from him and we live like we're it, like we're the center of the universe. That's how we, we live, right? Now let's turn uh, to scripture uh, to, to give us a little bit of perspective this morning. And I'm going to go with the book of Job again. You don't need to turn there because we're going to land in John chapter uh, 13. But let me just give you some scripture from Job. And you can look at it on the screen here. There's so many other places we could turn that would give us perspective uh, this morning. But I just want some perspective of God's power and God's greatness. So uh, Job is, I think, just most dense with this. And uh, we're going to settle in John in a minute. Let me just give you a sampling of God's power from Job. Job chapter 26 says that everything that we, we know of God, everything that we know, we think we know God and we study God and we are theologians, right? Everything that we know of God is simply what? The outskirts of his ways. We only know the outskirts of his ways. Only a whisper do we know of God. It's pretty humbling. Job 38 Job gets to this place where he starts to shake his fist at God. And what does God say to Job? Job 38, verse 3. He says, all right, Job, dress for action like a man. What did he just say? God just said that to, to Job. He says, all right, Job, let's, let's do this. Let's talk like a man. Come on, let's go. I want to talk to you right now. And in verse 4, he says this. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, Job. If you have understanding. Verse 5, 
Job, who determined the measurements of the earth? Surely you know. Verse 12. Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began? You see how God is kind of sarcastic with Job? Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Verse 18. Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know this. Verse 21. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. I mean, God has sarcasm in him. It's amazing. Verse 34, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? I don't even get that, but it's cool. Amazing. 35, can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Do you have control over lightning that they would answer to you like they're your, your minions? 36, who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Job, everything that you know is from me. Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Verse 37. We could go on and on and on. There are four chapters of this from the Lord after Job shakes his fist at God. And God is telling Job and God is telling us. This is God, the one who was and is and is to come, saying, Job, you are a man. You are my creation. You are tiny. You are finite in my understanding and my power my greatness it's it's unfathomable now the reason i say that is because i think it really gives us some needed perspective for what jesus is about to do in john 13 god jesus so otherly so beyond us so powerful we don't even remotely understand just a whisper just an outskirts of of him is what we know Watch what he's going to do, and I'm going to kind of track from Genesis all the way till we get there. Genesis chapter 1, God is. Before time, he just is. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 25, he creates everything that we see. Us and everything in the world for us to enjoy, to turn back to praise to him in one way or another. Everything. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through chapter 2, he creates us specifically so that he might be glorified by us and that we might enjoy him and we might enjoy his creation. And in Genesis chapter three, we turn from him, sin. Right? We all turn from him. Creation rebels against its creator. And in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, we get the first promise of a savior that we would uh, receive, uh, that Jesus would receive a wound from Satan. That's the cross, but that Satan would receive a fatal wound from Jesus defeating Satan's sin and death for all time. And here, right here at this moment, Genesis chapter 3, 15, this is when it first happens. And this is where we're going. This is when it first happens. And this is what I want to call the reach. At this moment, there, there's this reach. It's one thing for God to speak to his rebellious creation, but it's an entirely different thing for God to begin to reach into his rebellious creation, to humble himself, and to care for them and to say, I'm going to take you back and I'm going to do some crazy things to take you back. And he begins to reach and gives us this Genesis 3.15, the first promise of the coming of Jesus. It's a prophecy about Jesus, that God would descend to earth, that he would reach in and he would get his hands dirty and he would pull us back, those who have turned from him and, and chose anything else but him. And so all then throughout the Old Testament, 
scriptures are preparing us for the coming of Jesus and preparing us for Jesus coming. It's getting closer and closer and closer. And then in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it records that God became a man, another reach. And that he, he, he comes through a virgin. So it's a scandalous looking situation through which he comes. He's reaching even lower. And then on top of this, he announces himself to shepherds. So he's reaching even lower. These are kind of like uh, non-important men in, in that day and age. It's like God uh, is the maker, the creator of all things. And he comes into the world and nobody really knows about it except for the shepherds. It's kind of like an artist going into his art gallery and just kind of walking around and everybody's in awe of his art, but don't even, they don't even know that he's there. He is here and he lets the shepherds know. And then on top of that, there's no hotel for God. He's reaching even lower. So he was born in a stable among animals, reaching even lower. Raises up, taking on Joseph's profession as a carpenter. So he's working with his hands. This is God who spoke things into existence, is now working with his hands, which is always mind-boggling to me. I'm just picturing, you know, Jesus in the back while Joseph is doing something else. And, you know, he's got an order for a table and five chairs. And he could just say, table. Chairs. And Joseph says, Wow, that's fast, Jesus. He was working with his hands. It's amazing. Reaching lower and lower and lower. He begins his earthly ministry. First place he goes, Nazareth. And he's rejected in his hometown. Goes on, he's accused by his family of being crazy. He reaches even lower. He goes on to associate with people that the world say he shouldn't be associating with rough around the edge kind of men he spends his days with contagious sick people he he cares for and loves on controversial ladies that men of god in that day should not associate with he endures accusation after accusation after accusation that he is blaspheming god he's reaching lower and lower and lower and people are questioning him all along the way. And here we are. He's being hunted down for his life. John chapter 13, finally. Verses 1 through 5. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is majestic uncreated, I am God, stooping down, preparing to wash the feet of disciples, the men who are about to betray him, one of which is already ready to sell him out for chump change. So I have just three quick questions for us this morning that I hope will stimulate us a little bit. The first one is, in light of all of this, do you understand how far he reached. Do you understand just how far he reached? That here we have 
the holy, unfathomably great, powerful God, and he's on his knees washing feet of rebellious men. And this is love. What world leader today would do anything of the sort? This is this is love. And this is humility and it's sacrificial and it's foolish. Verse one, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He understands um, what he's gonna do for them and he loves them all the way to the end. It's a foreshadowing of his brutal death. That he's gonna die. Verse two, the devil already put it into Judas to betray him. He's washing feet of this man who's gonna sell him out. Verse three, knowing that the Father has given him all things, he rose from supper to wash feet. So he knew who he is. He knew where he came from, where he's going, yet he washes feet. His hands are just constantly in his ministry on this earth, humbly reaching, 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 reaching. Do you really understand how far of a reach that is? The humility that's necessary. Dirty, nasty feet. God just descends himself over and over and over and over again. That's just who he is. That's what he, that's what he does. That's our, our God. The heights of the heavens uh, to his knees. It's love, it's humility. And it's directed, and not just them, it's directed at, at all of us. And so when we hear him talking to Job in such a way, declaring, do you understand who I am? Don't let that cause you to be angry. Let that cause you to see just how far of a reach it was for him who is so powerful and so in control of all things to come and to do what he did. That's directed at all of us, that he would serve us to the ultimate end, that he would give his life as a ransom to free us from our imprisonment to Satan's sin and death, that we sold out, he, the one we sold out against, he takes us back. That's, that's the Lord. It's crazy how when we think about the humility of Jesus, how it places value on those who are undervalued in their culture. These men were undervalued men in the culture and he's washing their feet and all the people that he interacts with. So many of them were undervalued in the culture and yet he loved them and he served them. It places value on those. But then isn't it also kind of crazy how for the prideful in our culture, maybe even in this room, it kind of humbles the prideful. Wow. He could do it. Wow, I should, I should humble myself. Now, for those who are struggling with pride and are not humble, the answer is not fake it. The answer is to get your eyes on Jesus, to see just how vast of a descent, how much he lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered himself so that he could reach into humanity and to serve us. And when you see that, it stirs you, it does something in you. Keep pressing into Jesus. Don't go fake it. Go try to be humble. See Jesus. See what he does. Understand how great of a descent it was. The next one is this. Question number two is, has he reached you? Has he really reached you? That he went through all kinds of trouble to become a man, to live perfectly and to die his death on the cross. But has he really reached you with that death and what he does? Look at verses 6 to 11. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to portray him. That's why he said not all of you are clean. And so you can imagine the disciples are stunned when Jesus begins to wash their feet, something that the lowest of the servants in the room would have done. He does. And he washes their feet and he gets to Peter. And what does Peter say? He says, whoa, Lord, Lord, no. Uh-uh. You're not planning on washing my feet, are you? Don't, no, you're not touching my feet. And Jesus says, it, it might not make sense to you now, but it, it will because it's prophetic of what he's going to do and that he's going to die for us. And Peter says, never, right? never, Lord. You are above this. You're better than this. Don't touch my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me touch your feet and wash your feet, you have no share with me. And Jesus is saying this. He's basically saying, unless I wash your sins away by my death, you can have no share with me. You need me to serve you. You need me to serve you. So Peter says, well, if I can't have share with you unless you do this, wash all of me, everything, all of me, my hands and my head. Peter was still, even at this point, he's kind of missing the point. He's still missing the point. It wasn't about getting washed, but he's, he's right. I don't want to be separated from Jesus. So He's missing the point, but he's also showing us that whatever Jesus wants, I want to be with him. So listen, this morning, none of us, None of us want to bear the eternal consequence of being not separated, of being separated from Jesus. We want to have a share with Jesus. We need him to reach us. We need him to serve us by dying for us, living perfectly and then dying an undeserved death. We need him to to wash us, to touch us. We need that. He died on the cross to take away the penalty for our sin, and only he could do it because he's sinless. Has he served you in that way? We constantly want to ask that question. We would receive it and not reject it. Has he reached you? Has he touched you? And so this morning, if you haven't received that washing that Peter so wants, that you would receive Jesus forgiving you of your sin, I implore you, say yes to him. In faith, trust in what he has done on the cross. I need your sacrificial service and love and death for me, Jesus. Say yes to him and he'll, he'll, he'll free you. He'll, he'll free you from the separation that you have from him because of your sin. All of us need that. All of us. Now the final question is this. The final question is this. Will you reach others? So the first one is, you understand how far of a reach it was for him to come and do what he did? The second question is, has he really reached you? Has he touched you? The third question is, if he has, will you now reach into the lives of other people? So look at verses 12 through 17. It says this. It says, and when he had washed their feet, he's touched them, he's reached them, and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he explains to them, he says to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you, those last two words, if you do them, you are blessed. So he says to them, after putting everything aside and getting back to his seat, he says to them, do you understand what I've done, guys? He says, do you understand this? As if to say, hey, pay close attention. This is really, really important. You call me teacher. You call me Lord. And that is true. I am teacher. And I am Lord. He says, listen, if you really believe that, if you really believe that I am teacher, that I am Lord, then you will do what I have just done and you will wash the feet of others. That if you believe that Jesus is Lord, it's more than just saying he's Lord. It's living out what he lived out and under serving other people, that you'll get your hands dirty for other people. That's a sign of a life that has truly been gripped and changed by Jesus, that you live for him, not perfectly, but you live for him, that if you've been reached by him, if you've been touched by him, you will touch other people, that you will befriend them, that you will love them, that you will listen to them, that you will serve them, that you will then tell them about the reason of the hope that you have, if you've really been served by him. Now, the most common excuse to not really reaching out and serving other peoples is, I don't feel prepared. I don't feel prepared to, to reach other people. What if they ask me something that I don't have an answer to? What if they give me a tough question? And so what churches will do then is they will launch these big evangelism training efforts. You've seen one of them before? Been to the church that does that? And I'm all for training. We'll launch big evangelistic training efforts. And what I think that does is it often creates more pressure than help. Because now you've kind of been training and you're ready for that moment where you've got you to say the right thing and you've got to get that acronym right. And you're talking with your friend you're saying, uh, do you believe in fraud? Fully rely on God? And they're like, what? And it makes it more awkward. You're supposed to be prepared, but you've been training. You just, it's, it's, it's goofy, right? We do these things. What happens to people in the scriptures who have truly been touched by Jesus? People in the scriptures who have truly been touched by Jesus, they don't go straight to some evangelism training program. They go tell other people immediately. Andrew, I got to tell Peter. The woman at the well, I got to go tell my town. This is the woman who nobody liked her. I got to go tell people. I don't care what they think. This is amazing. Or the, the guy who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And Jesus allows him to hear and speak again. What does he do immediately? Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Because the time wasn't right. But what does he do? Sorry, <laughs> I gotta tell somebody. And he goes and tells everybody. Right? What do people do when they're truly touched by Jesus? They tell someone. That's what they do. We tell people. We serve people. We get excited just comes up in conversation. I think so often we, we make such a big deal about saying the right things and getting the acronym right. A, B, C, admit, believe, confess. Listen, share your story. You're excited about Jesus like you're excited about the project at work. You're excited about Jesus like you're excited about the big game this afternoon. You're excited about Jesus like you're excited about your children. And that's what happens if you've truly been touched by Jesus. We share our story and about how our story has intersected with his story. 
and remember, it's all about being humble and the humble descent of the Savior. That listen, if you're so concerned with what if they ask something that I'm not prepared to give, well, that's a pride issue. You need to be okay with saying, you know, I don't quite know, but I believe. And so I'm going to find that answer for you. Yeah, be prepared as you can be. But listen, if you really have been touched by him, you've got to tell somebody. And so it requires us to reach into people's lives. Like Jesus who comes into our world, the incarnation, God becomes flesh and dwells among us, that we too have to incarnate ourselves into other people's worlds, that we have to take on other people's realities. And so if it's needs, take on their needs and serve and meet their needs. If it's passions, allow yourself to enter into that and get excited about what they're excited about about if it's hurt, allow yourself to enter into their pain and care for their pain. If it's family, get to know their family. Whatever it is, enter into it. Get into the world. Humbly love them. Humbly care. You think Jesus enters into humanity and says, this is so lame. You should have seen what I did. I built the Rockies. It was awesome. No, he's he's in their world. He's in the desert. And he's there with them and he's present and he's alongside of them. That's, that's Jesus. He reaches into their world, touches their world, and shares the truth. And that's what we're to do. Now, do you ever feel like a reach can be a stretch for you? You ever feel like that? A lot of times a reach can be a stretch for us myself included. It's, it's a stretch for me to, to reach because I don't have a lot of time. Or it's a stretch for me to reach because my family's really challenging. Or it's a stretch for me to reach because my coworkers are hostile towards Jesus. Or it's a stretch for me to reach because it's just challenging to enter into pain or enter into that person's circumstance. It's a stretch of my comfort. Maybe it's a stretch of feeling prepared. Maybe it's a stretch of of just the likelihood of that person coming to trust Jesus. Like, you don't know them, Josh. It's a stretch. Sometimes it feels like a stretch to reach. And can I just say that that's a really good thing? Like, it should be a stretch to reach. Because when it's a stretch for us to make that reach, it's a good chance for God to flex. It's a good chance for God to flex his muscles. You know, Matthew chapter 28 and 19, it's when we get our great commission called to go into all the world and make disciples. And then what's the promise? He says, and behold, I am with you. I'm with you. If it's easy, is that, is that what we want to do with our lives? We just want to do what's easy? I want to see God show up. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power. I don't want to just, with my smooth words, convince them. I want to see God's power unleashed in somebody's life. So yeah, sometimes it feels like a stretch to make a reach to somebody, but that's when God can flex. Man, when I'm looking at 2013, praying about 2013, I'm praying that God would allow us to reach some unlikely people. 
I'm praying that God would allow us to reach some people that if we flash forward at the end of this year and look who's here, look who we've connected with, it will say never in a million years that I think she would be sitting here. He would be sitting here. He'd be coming to my house. I'd be talking to him about the Lord. Never. I want it to be a stretch because that's when God can show up and say, I did what you can't do because I'm God. I am with you always to the end of the age. You have received my power. That's why when these guys, these disciples who wash his feet and they go and betray him, he dies, he resurrects. He says, stay here. Wait, power's coming. They're freaking out in an upper room, afraid like cowards. The power comes. They just do amazing things. They go from guys who deserted Jesus to men full of power and it made no sense whatsoever. They're fishermen. So much so they're teaching. People say, wait, these are unschooled fishermen. That's God's power. So you don't feel prepared. I want God's power to flow through and show that he's prepared even when you're not prepared. You feel like they'll never come to Jesus. You can never reach them. I want God's power to show us that you can't, I can't. So what I want to do is I want us to end this morning by really doing something maybe you've been challenged to do before, but I don't know if you've ever taken it seriously because I'd hear it a million times right now. Well, maybe not. Um, I have a, like a little notebook that I just write things down and when ideas come to my head and prayer requests and things. And I wrote down at the beginning of this year a number of people who, it was challenging. I'm writing their names down thinking, oh man, I don't want to write their names down because by writing their names down, it's on paper, it's on the record. But I did it. And I would encourage you to write down some, maybe five names. If God gives you more, that'd be amazing. But would you write down five names and let these be five people that are challenging and commit to pray for them and ask God to show up in power. I'm not asking you to go share with them the acronym. I'm asking you to pray for them and to try to get into their lives a little more. Be there with them. And if you're passionate about Jesus because he has so touched you, it will come up. Just like, I guarantee you tomorrow at work, patriots are coming up. Jesus comes up if you're excited about Jesus. And already in this new year, it's already blowing my mind that he's already allowed me to have some of those conversations that I just went through all of last year with these people in my heart and nothing. But I'm praying specifically and I'm asking God to show his power in my life and I pray and trust that he's going to do that in your life as well. Let's watch and see what he does. Let's be a people who are about reaching, about loving the unlovable, about serving people, about being really intentional, about getting into people's lives and letting God show up and do what only he can do in power. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for our morning. God, thank you for your word, for your example. It's amazing. God, I pray that you would help us to see just how great it is that you came to earth to be a man. God, I pray for those who have not been reached by you, that they have not said yes to you and connected with you through Jesus. And I pray that they would say yes to you and trust in you. And for the rest of us in this room, may we reach others. Not in our own strength, but in your power. May we see other people cared for and loved and served. Unlikely people even. May we see lives ultimately come to know Jesus and be changed. Lord, thank you. 
for our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.